All right. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Everybody doing good? All right. Well, good morning. Welcome to you. Those joining us in the room, those joining us online, we are glad you guys are here. It is good to see you all. Now, how many of you guys have heard this statement before? The truth hurts. We heard that. You guys love hearing that statement? Like, yeah, that's a fun one, man. Okay. Now, this common phrase holds a lot of meaning to it. There is a lot that comes with these three words. Hearing the real truth about something or someone, it can be tough. It can be tough to hear those words, especially when it ruins what we wish was real. See, it's normal during preparing for a message that the Lord will convict me of something that I need to share with you guys, and this week was no different, and so I feel that there are some hard truths that I need to share with you all. Long walks on the beach, they're not that great. Dipping your Wendy's fries in the frosting, or the the frosty, it's disgusting, The Beatles are overrated. (laughs) Now, I understand some of you may want to leave now, but the truth hurts. But it's not always fun hearing the truth, but sometimes it's necessary for us to hear the truth. And it is always necessary for us to tell the truth in a loving way. See, having someone be completely truthful with you or you having to be completely truthful with another person isn't always easy. But as theologian Henry Rollins, front man for the hardcore punk band Black Flag, once said, sometimes the truth hurts and sometimes it feels real good. So this morning, we're continuing in our series, Top 10. And what we're doing throughout this summer is we're taking a look at the 10 commandments, the top 10 rules that God has given us so that we can try and base our Christian lives off of these. And so, so far, we've talked about the commands of no other gods, having no other gods other than the one true creator God. We talked about the command to honor the Sabbath. And then last week, we talked about the command to honor your father and mother. Now, today's commandment that we're going to be looking at is one of those that if you were to compare it to the other nine, you would be able to make a pretty good case that this one isn't as serious. It doesn't seem like as big of a deal as the other ones, but it's also the one commandment that makes sure nobody gets out unscathed. So today's commandment, don't lie. All right. Here's your first opportunity to work on this. Where are my liars at out there? Who are you? Come on. Okay. Now, here's why I like this commandment. This one gets everybody. Okay? Now, you may be awesome at the other nine commandments, but this one... (laughs) This one will get you because this one's sneaky. This one isn't always very clear and obvious. Sometimes it is, but this one gets everyone. Most of us will make it through life without killing someone. Most of us, uh, we, we go through life and we'll do good, not worshiping another God. Not many of us are hanging out in our bedrooms, carving idols out of a chunk of wood. So like we do pretty well with the other commandments, but lying, well, we do that one quite a bit. And some of us, we're really good at lying, aren't we? And see, you may already be thinking, well, I'm, I'm not a liar. You are. It's fine, though, like I am too. Not that that makes that any better, but, you know, it's just this is part of life and part of who we, who we are as people. Because, you see, a lie is a lie. 
Whether it's lying about your weight or your age, lying to get an advantage over another person, lying to stay out of trouble, all lies. All of them. Even those little white lies like, I didn't see your text or your baby's adorable. Like, even those little ones, that's what we're talking about. Those are included. Now, if you're familiar at all with the Ten Commandments, you've probably picked up on the fact that we're not going in order. We're not going one through 10, and that is okay. It's not a big deal that we're going out of order with these, okay? Now, there are a lot of things in the Bible where sequence matters, where what is said and when is important. Not so much with the Ten Commandments. Why? Well, because all the commandments have the same purpose, to help us grow in our relationship with God. That is the same purpose that unifies every commandment we see in the Bible. So to make sure we're all on the same page, let's hit a few questions real quick. Let's talk about these. What are the Ten Commandments? Why were the Ten Commandments important back then? And do they still matter today? So what are the Ten Commandments? Well, the Ten Commandments are the ten directives that God gave to the Israelite people through his prophet and servant Moses. And the reason for them was to quite plainly tell the Israelites how they could live lives that please God. See, it was God giving them the opportunity to choose to be obedient or not. They show what's important to God and therefore should be important to his people. That's why the Ten Commandments mattered back then when they were originally given. And that's why they matter today. Because just like the Israelites, we today are still called to obedience. And it's because of that that we should still listen to the commandments today. You see, these Ten Commandments are things that all of us claiming a relationship with Jesus should still be implementing and practicing in our daily lives because they are still very clear directions on how we can live up to the calling that God has called us to. Now, in reality, from Genesis to Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, God gives his people 613 commandments, okay? That is a lot. We may look at 10 and be like, oh, man, that's a lot to keep up with. 613, that's what God originally gave to all of his people. And all of these commands fall into one of three categories. Now, these categories are civil laws, ceremonial laws, and moral laws. So all the commands from God fall into one of these three categories, and it's important for us to know these categories because it helps us understand what still applies to us today, because not all of them do. And see, as we've told you before, and you will hear us say again and again, the key to reading and interpreting scripture is context. Whenever we are reading something in the Bible, we have got to understand the context. That means that we look at what's happening around the verse or the verses that we're reading. Who is it being written to? What kind of writing is it? What's going on in the culture at the time that this is being written and things like that. And it's the same when, the, when we're reading the laws or the commandments. And so what do these categories mean? Well, the first category is civil laws. And these deal with things like debt, divorce, inheritance, landmarks, punishment for robberies, stuff like that. Civil laws dealt with disputes between the Jewish people or individuals. Now, these laws expired when the Jewish civil government collapsed as the Babylonian and the Persian empires started taking over in about the last 600 years before Christ. 
Okay? Now, the second category, we're going to talk a little bit more about. The second category of laws is the ceremonial laws. And this is where we find the food and the dietary laws. This is where we find the laws about how the Israelites were to do sacrifices and what kind of offerings to make when and how and all that kind of stuff. Ceremonial laws are the ones that, man, there's so much detail to them because it was all about how you honored God through obedience. Now, these laws expired with the new covenant when Jesus fulfilled them by becoming God in the flesh. Jesus removes the food laws in Mark 7 when he's talking to the Pharisees. These were the guys that were the rule followers. These were the ones who were teaching other people the laws and saying, look, we are doing the laws perfectly. You follow us. This is what they did. But Jesus is talking to them about inner purity, having pure motives and intentions in your heart. Because again, the Pharisees were all about following the rules to the best of their ability, but it was all head knowledge. There was no heart change that came along with it. And so look at Jesus' interaction here. Mark chapter 7, starting verse 17. It says, Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Don't you understand either, he asked? Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And then he added, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. So not only is Jesus removing the dietary restrictions here, but he, you can see that Jesus is also giving a nod to the Ten Commandments by listing out all these things that displease God. And as for the laws about offerings and sacrifices, through his death on the cross, Jesus became the last sacrifice ever needed because of sin. In Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 11, it says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now that word sanctified, that just means the process of being made holy, which is what God desires for us. So when Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected, in that moment, we regain direct access to God. We, we, we regained connection to God. We no longer need to go through a priest as a middleman. Our relationship with God is reestablished through the blood of Jesus. And so the ceremonial laws are no longer needed. Now, the last category is the moral laws. And moral laws dealt with things like idolatry. These are the laws that talk, talk about loving God, loving others. The laws that talk about sexual immorality. Moral laws have no expiration because they are based on God's character, which does not change. 
And so the moral laws, such as the Ten Commandments and laws on sexual immorality, we still follow because Jesus affirmed that those laws will continue until heaven and earth pass away. Now, I know that's a lot of information, but it's important to know as much as we can about this because God's laws were important then and they are still important now. In talking about the law of God, Dr. R.C. Sproul said this. He said, but as the law reveals the character of God, it provides a mirror to reflect to us our unholiness against the ultimate standard of righteousness. The more we understand the purpose behind the Ten Commandments, why God gave them to us, why they're still important today, the greater chance we'll have at living lives that are more in tune with God which will lead us to do a better job at helping everyone find and follow Jesus, which is what we are all about. Now, the Ten Commandments are listed out in detail in three places in Scripture. We find the Ten Commandments listed out in Exodus chapter 20. We see them in Leviticus chapter 19 and in Deuteronomy chapters 5 and 6. Now, most of us were most familiar with Exodus chapter 20, and you may have never read the book of Leviticus, or maybe you tried and you stopped because... It's boring. Those 613 laws, they just like write them all out and that's what it is. Oh, but Deuteronomy chapter or Deuteronomy, you may have spent a little bit of time in there as well. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're not going to read through the commandments, but I do want to look at how Moses gets into the commandments in Deuteronomy chapter five. So Deuteronomy chapter five, starting in verse one, says Moses called all the people of Israel together and said, listen carefully, Israel. Hear the decrees and regulations I am giving you today, so you may learn them and obey them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Mount Sinai. The Lord did not make this covenant with our ancestors, but with all of us who are alive today. At the mountain, the Lord spoke to you face to face from the heart of fire. And I stood as an intermediary between you and the Lord, for you were afraid of the fire and didn't want to approach the mountain. He spoke to me and I passed his words on to you. So as Moses is getting ready to repeat the commandments that God has given to his people, Moses points out that God made this covenant with them, the people who are alive right then and there. See, God didn't make this covenant with their ancestors. It's not something that happened in the previous generations and they just heard the stories about it. They were there at the mountain. They heard the thunder and the voices. They saw the fire. They were there in the moment. These commandments are for them. Now, these words that we read in scripture, they still matter today. Why? Well, because again, they still point us to the character of God which is what we are to imitate as Christians. And now, even though none of the commands are are more important than the others, because again, they are all from God, they all point us to God, this is why I think not lying is at the top of the list for me. Because again, it's easy for most of us to not kill people and not worship idols and not cheat on our spouses, but it is super hard to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, all the time. If anybody can get through that one, like I'll give you a high five or something like that's crazy. But in a world where it is getting easier and easier for all people to communicate their ideas, their thoughts, their opinions, speaking the truth is getting harder. 
Truth's becoming more ambiguous. It's becoming more interpretive. The thoughts of, well, what's true for me doesn't have to be true for you. Or the thoughts of, yeah, you just, just live your own truth. These thoughts are gaining traction in our world. Truth isn't what it's always been, and it's getting harder to sell, even for us Christians within the church. Now, if you've been a part of any church for any amount of time, you know that there is no perfect church out there. If you think that you have found a perfect church, then you need to leave because it's not, okay? Now, the reason for this is, man, the church is full of people, and people are messy. We're people. We know we're messy. This is why I think it's always funny when someone leaves the church, they're like, oh, yeah, that church is just full of hypocrites. No, duh. We are people and we have sin. The church is a place for sinful people. The church isn't a place just for healthy people to stay healthy. It's a place for the sick and the lost and the disenfranchised and those who are not perfect. Being upset that there's sinners in the church is like going to the gym and getting mad because there's out of shape people working out. Like this is the purpose in all of this. And as Christians, we are to always be improving our relationship with God and making it easy for other people to do the same. And a lot of that is either helped or hurt by our words. Evangelist and pastor Alan Redpath said this, how very strange that we have ever come to think that Christian maturity is shown by the ability to speak our minds, whereas it is really expressed in controlling our tongues. Our words matter. The true ones matter, the false ones matter, which is why the command to not lie is a big one. And now you may look at your Bible and you may go, well, I don't see the words don't lie in there. So what's he talking about? Most translations say things like, you know, don't give false testimony or, or don't testify falsely against a neighbor or don't give false witness. These are all different words, but the same meaning, the same command. Don't lie. Be truthful in what we say. You see, lying is one of those things where there are so many different ways you can do it. And some of the times you're not even aware of what's going on, but it's something we are all guilty of. There's so many kinds of ways that we break the command of do not lie. Lying takes so many different forms, like those little white lies that we think aren't harmful, that just can be in good fun, still lies. You've got broken promises, fabrications, where you're not sure if something's true, but you decide to tell it anyway. You've got bold-faced lying, exaggerating, deception, where you're giving a false impression, or you're purposefully leaving out some details so that things look better. Plagiarism, telling half-truths, lying takes so many forms. And if you think you're still in the clear, you're like, no, I'm good on those things. Let's go to your social media accounts. You guys use filters on your pictures? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's altering the truth. That's creating a false representation of what reality is, which that's lying. Now, am I saying that you use filters on your Instagram that you're going to hell? Yeah, but not like, probably not for that reason, for for other things. but, But think about the way you frame your pictures to purposefully include or exclude something or the words that you tweet. Or the comments that you post, the statuses that you put up. Think about your comments on other people's pages. Do you tell the whole truth all of the time? Do you ever share a post before you fact check it? 
Do you ever make comments that aren't entirely true, but man, does it really get your point across and stick it to the other person so that you win the online argument? Like, we do these things. And to quote Pastor Redpath again, what a startling revelation it would be if a tape recording could be played of all that every church member has said about his fellow members in one week. In some form or fashion, lying is something that we are all guilty of. And most of us don't mean to cause harm by it. Sometimes we lie unintentionally or we lie because it's just easier than telling the truth. But some of you, you know what you're doing. You've built a career on lies. You've built relationships on not telling the truth, on creating a false sense of reality or an incomplete picture of who you are. For some of you, lying has become such an entrenched part of your identity that you no longer are even sure of what's true anymore. But regardless of the purpose, the frequency, or the depth, lying is something that does not bring us closer to God, and it's something that God never approves of. So why do we lie? Well, I believe that all lies come from three motivations. The first motivation is we lie out of self-preservation. We lie to protect our image, protect ourselves, protect our ego, our status, how other people see us. That includes allowing lies to continue if they make us look better. The second motive is we lie from self-promotion. We lie to get the advantage over another person or to get what you want or to get ahead of other people. And then the third reason we lie, the third motive is fear. Fear of what will happen if we don't lie. Fear of what will happen if we stop lying. Again, lying is one of those things that so quickly shows us the character of a person. And God's command to not lie shows us more of his character. You see, the command to not lie isn't something that we just see a few times in the Old Testament when the Ten Commandments are being listed out. We see throughout the entire Bible God's desire for truth and honesty and integrity. Three things that are destroyed by lying. See, God makes it abundantly clear throughout all of Scripture that he values the truth. Check out this. This is, this is just a little bit to give you a picture This is just some of the places in scripture where God talks about the value of truth and honesty and integrity because God desires his people to be honest, truth-telling people of integrity. Our God is all about truth. He sets the example of truth. He tells us what we gain by being truthful. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in John chapter 8, Jesus again says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, our God is all about truth. But because of that, that means that Satan is all about messing that up. Earlier, I said that there's motives behind every lie we tell. There's reasons why we lie, but make no mistake about it. Satan is behind all of it. Another time when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and some other people in John chapter 8, the Pharisees are trying to make the case that they are the people of God. They are the true children of Abraham because they do the right things. They say the right things according to the law. But even though they say and do the right things, it's not because their hearts are growing closer to God. It's because they want to keep up the appearance of being something they're not. And check out Jesus' response in John chapter 8 verse 44 Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil. If you're looking for a biblical insult to somebody, there you go. 
says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He, Satan, was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. See, just like God's desire is for us to seek and speak truth, Satan's desire is to wreck that. He is always ready to start a lie continue a lie or create a lie in our hearts to move us away from God and not closer. I got to tell you, man, Satan is tricky. He is good at what he does. And any little gap that we give him, he is ready to jump and get in there. He has a way of sneaking lies into our hearts without us being fully aware of it. He creates those half-truths that can be so dangerous, those things that sound good enough to be true, but they're not Holy, true. He causes us to doubt what we know to be true. And when we go against what we know to be true, we slide a little bit outside of God's will. So let's think of it this way. I think that we are all familiar with these. You may have a love-hate relationship with these things, but I'm sure that we are all familiar with stop signs. We know the reasoning for them. We know the purpose. We know what they stand for. Now, obedience, just like everything else, is a choice that you have to make. No one can make you be obedient. Now, sure, people can give you suggestions or or there can be laws and rules, but following those things is completely 100% up to you. So again, let's think of stop signs. A simple thing, and a stop sign has one purpose. What is that purpose? Well, it tells you where to bring your car to a complete stop. Now, I need you to remember what we are talking about today. Don't lie. Okay, how many of you come to a complete stop at all stop signs? Uh huh. Okay, how many of you just, yeah, you don't come to a complete stop, but you slow down enough and you just kind of roll through those stop signs, especially those annoying ones in your neighborhood, right? Like, who are my people there? Yeah, why? I have, I've got to confess. Guys, I've had to ask for a lot of forgiveness because of the thoughts and the words I've had because of you people. Man. Now, in the grand scheme of life, not coming to a complete stop at a stop sign doesn't seem like that big of a deal, okay? Especially if no one else is coming or you're in a real big rush or nobody else stops at them or it's just a stop sign. I'm not shooting people. Like, come on, man. Plus, it saves me like two seconds, But the reasonings behind the stop sign, if we list those out, if we were to list out the negative consequences that could happen by not obeying the simple command to stop, does that change your perspective on it? See, I think all of us would absolutely say, well, if I knew I was going to get in a wreck or hit somebody, or if I knew, man, the cop is right there, yeah, I'd stop completely. But that's not the point. The point is that there's a law about what to do when you come to a stop sign, and that is that you come to a complete stop, period. That's the law. And if we choose to break that law, we are in the wrong regardless of if anyone else saw us do it or no matter how many other people are doing it as well. And that's what lying is like, choosing to go against what we know to be the truth. Now, rolling through the stop sign, again, not a big deal in the big picture, but still breaking the law. Lying to your friend about having plans on that night Not a big deal, still a lie. Lying when your spouse asks you, does this make me look fat? Our God is a God of grace 
and mercy and forgiveness. So you make the judgment call there. But maybe you stop at stop signs all the time. Awesome. Keep on going. Set the example. That's good. I'll get all up in your business another way. Let's go to the grocery store. Specifically, let's go to the parking lot. We've all seen it. Most of us have probably contributed to it. Shopping carts scattered all over the place in parking spaces, in the bushes, two wheels up on the curb because, hey, at least it's not going to roll away and get in anybody's way. And man, doing all that instead of putting them in the right spot. Yeah, there's car corrals everywhere. That's like 20 feet away. It's so far. It's so much easier for me just to leave my cart here. Someone else can deal with it. I mean, they pay people to come out and get these things, right? Like that's fine. Now, we talked earlier about how every lie is based out of self-preservation, self-promotion, or fear. But there's an even bigger motive behind those. So when we get to the bottom of it, what's the motive behind every lie? Well, it's selfishness. It's being selfish. Just like rolling through stop signs and leaving shopping carts wherever we want to is based out of selfishness. So is every lie that we tell. See, every lie we tell is either to benefit ourselves, protect ourselves, or create a false reality that we prefer. Because when we lie, it's never to improve the lives of other people. It's always to improve or protect our own. It's through our lies that we can make ourselves feel better or look better or not have to deal with the harsh truths or make our problems somebody else's. And when those small things are left unchecked, they grow into larger problems. You see, something as simple as stop signs and shopping carts actually gives us a pretty good picture of how we treat our obedience to God. Again, most of us are pretty good at being obedient to the big things God asks us to do, or we're obedient when we know a negative consequence is going to follow. But it's those little things we do that we know are wrong, but hey, it's, it's not a big deal. It's those little lies that probably no one's even going to notice, or even if they do, they're not going to call you on it. They'll just let it slide. And so we inflate the numbers just a little bit. I mean, yeah, it makes, it helps me out, but it makes the company look good, right? So that's okay. Or we do things like mark the time card just a little more than we actually work because, hey, the company makes enough. And besides, I'm a good worker. I deserve a little bit of a bonus. Or we think we have good reasons for lying. Well, I didn't want to hurt their feelings or I didn't want to make them look bad in front of other people. But sometimes we just tell stupid lies that benefit no one at all. Yeah, I read that book. Oh, I love that movie. It sounds silly, but it still lies. And again, in the grand scheme of life, those little lies, they absolutely do not matter at all. When you have a worldly view of things. See, the world doesn't care if you lie about whether or not you read the book or made the phone call or even fudged the numbers just a little bit. But if we look at those little lies in a godly view, even the stupid little lie about whether or not we saw the movie is enough to condemn us to hell. How? Well, because God's call is for us to be perfect. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48 says, but you are to be perfect, even as your father in heaven is perfect. Now the word perfect means having all the required or desirable elements, qualities, or characteristics. It means free from any flaw or defect. And the truth is that God calls for each and every one of us to be perfect. And now that is a tough truth to hear, especially when you look at what the consequences are for not being perfect. 
See, the book of Romans tells us in chapters 3 and 6 that everyone sins. And because of that, we all deserve to go to hell. God is very clear that even one sin, even one small white lie is enough to condemn us to hell. Because once we allow sin into our lives, we are no longer perfect. That's the truth that we see in scripture. But there's another truth that we need to see as well. There's another truth that we need to know. See, sin of all kinds, including lying, is very alive and active in our world today. But God has already won the battle over our sin problem. This is all throughout the book of Romans. Check out these passages. It says, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for sins. For God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I don't want any of us to leave here today going, okay, I got it, don't lie, I can do that, here we go, and think that we've got the point. The point of the Ten Commandments isn't to help us manage our sin. You see, you can follow the commandments, you can do what God asks you to do, not do what he asks you not to do, and that's all good. But if you're doing those things just to check it off as something you've accomplished, that's not the point. That's not the point to any of this. The point of the Ten Commandments isn't to see how good you're doing at this whole church thing. The point is to lead our hearts to closer reflect the heart of God. See, if the motive behind anything you do is just to cover the basis and there's no heart change that comes along with it, we become people who are trying to use our good deeds as a way of justifying our faith. And that's what the Pharisees did. That's the mindset that the prophet Isaiah addresses in Isaiah chapter 64 when he says this. It says, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. See, following the rules and the directions God has given us has never been about becoming better rule followers. It has always been about becoming better Christ followers. That's the point behind all of it. God has always desired a people whose hearts are constantly being shaped more and more into the likeness of his own. The truth matters all the time in all circumstances. The truth matters. It matters to God, so it should matter to us. Now, the greatest truth that we can ever know is that God loves us so much more than anybody else ever has, ever can, ever will. You see, our sin doesn't surprise God. It doesn't catch him off guard. He knows that we are sinners. He knows that sin is in our world. He knows that Satan is working hard to pull people away from him. And he knows that because of the sin in our lives, we should have to face the punishment and the consequences we deserve. But again, God's love for us is unmatched. 
And because of that love, he did what no one else can or will. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And John 15 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. So you want the truth that's not a hard truth, that is the best truth ever. God loves you. God loves you. When he looks at you, he doesn't see you and define you by your sin. He looks at you, he sees you as his creation that he loves and wants a relationship with. And so as we get ready for a time of communion, what a perfect time to connect with the God that loves you. And so as we go into these next moments and the band comes back out, I want to invite you to take some time just to talk with God, to take a few moments just to connect with the God who created you, who loves you, and is all about a relationship with you. Use this as an opportunity to let go of anything that you may be holding onto in your heart. Use this as an opportunity to give up any sin that is hiding in your heart. And if lying is one of those things that you struggle with, man, what a great time to come clean with God. In these moments, thank God for his incredible love for you and the forgiveness, the grace, and the mercy that he has for all people. After I pray and we go into one more song, whenever you are ready, we would love to invite you to take communion. And so I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna worship through song, through communion and wrap up our time. God, we thank you so much for being a God that in the middle of our sinning, your love is so great that you still sent your son to die for us. God, you know everything about us. You created us. You are the one who made us in your image. And God, we know that whenever we sin, that that takes away from that image, but you still give us forgiveness. You allow us to come back to you. You accept us again and again and again. So God, we thank you that even though we fail at following the laws, the commands that you give to us, you still gave us a way to be reunited and renewed through the blood of Jesus. So God, in these next few moments, let us reflect on the sacrifice you made to take the punishment we deserve. God, thank you for showing your love to us through the cross, through your forgiveness, through your grace and mercy. God, we thank you, we love you, and it's in your name we pray, amen.